Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, episode 85. That's the biggest thing in our business. You gotta have a relationship with the players. And if you may know everything in the world, but if the players don't believe you, if they don't trust you, you know, it's not gonna do any good. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, our guest is Richard Howell, head strength and conditioning coach of the Indianapolis Colts in his 21st year with the organization. Coach, welcome. All right. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, so excited to have you on the show. We connected earlier in the year at the uh, NFL Combine in Indianapolis, um, your hometown. And I think it's really awesome to hear from coaches that have been with an organization for such a long time. Um, it's really impressive in this field when you meet someone that has had some longevity to their career. And uh, it's just really impressive and a testament to your work in the NFL over the years. If you would, I just want to start with getting into your path into strength and conditioning and kind of what led you to this position with the Indianapolis Colts. All right. Um, I guess after college, I attended college at, at Davidson uh, in North Carolina. And um, tell you the truth, Eric, I wanted nothing to do with coaching. Never did, even come out of high school. Okay. Uh, and I went into Davidson as a biology pre-med major, did all my prereqs, everything, MCAT. But um, towards the end, I was just like, I don't really want to do this, you know, but I still truly enjoyed sports. Sports has always been a part of my life. And I played football at Davidson. Um, along with that, also uh, at, at my last year there, and I was graduating from uh, Davidson, uh, you know, I was still a little undecisive what I wanted to do next, but there was a position open on the football staff and the, uh, they were more than happy to have me to stick around and coach, but also was able to play um, in a league in Sweden in the spring and try some arena stuff. I still had a love for football. I wanted to play, you know, but it allowed me to, to coach a little bit and to pursue football after college. Uh, but in total, I ended up coaching at Davidson four years. And those last two years, I got more involved on the strength side of things. Uh, we didn't have a traditional strength coach there at the time. So one of the football coaches would become the strength coach, you know. So I kind of got that title the last two years where I coached DBs and also ran the strength for the football. But that slowly ramped into a, a position where I was helping all 21 teams build their programs, you know, so and just giving some guidance with what to do. So that kind of ignited a fire right there. It really did where I was like, man, I like coaching football, but you know what? I think I like, I like this strength side even more. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So uh, I ended up leaving Davidson and I went to the university of North Carolina as a graduate assistant, looking to work towards a master's degree in exercise science. That was my overall goal. And I was there up under a George Bulldog Smith and a coach Torbush was the head coach. And I was working there and I was there altogether two years, but while I was there, I did not finish up uh, the master's because I got the job here with Indianapolis Colts uh, right at the end of that second year. Um, but the cool thing about that process at the University of North Carolina also, uh, after that first full year there, that summer, I went over and did uh, NFL Europe with the Barcelona Dragons and Coach Big Neil. 
So that was kind of another unique experience that I could add to my resume and just gave me a, some experience working with guys at a higher level, even who were trying to get to the highest level. Right? And, uh, but after my, that, that, after that summer in Barcelona, I came back and finished up another fall with uh, at UNC and then came here to the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, my track was not the usual track. I tell people, so look at what I did. I was truly blessed and uh, things just kind of fell right in line for me uh, with the right people and with some right connections. And uh, but I was truly blessed to get here when I did and to be here this long. Yeah. So, you know, just listening to your, to your story, um, it, you know, something that jumps out to me was you had a really strong scientific background coming out of your undergrad program um, and maybe a little untraditional to be a biology pre-med major and then pursue strength and conditioning. Um, speak to the value of really diving into the sciences as a student of strength and conditioning and how that can benefit you in this field. Yeah, I, what you said is exactly right. Uh, even though I didn't I'm not doing exactly what I went to college, what I thought I would do as a doctor per se, but my background gave me a huge foundation on the body. I mean, so my, my, my initial goal was to work with the body. Now I, do, I work with the body just in a different way. But with what I learned at Davidson and with through the sciences was gaining a, I mean, you're talking about just ground level understanding of the body how things work, you know, learning all of the muscles, which we all do. But then even, you know, with the, with the hormonal levels, and I mean, just the whole process through my chemistry side of things, uh, with the biology side of stuff. And trust me, I wanted to get out of chemistry as fast as I could. So I don't think I was great at it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, uh, but I, yeah, I made those steps through, but it gave me a better understanding and a better appreciation for the sciences and how important the science side of things is even when it comes to exercise science, you know, and how to apply that more and how to spend time reading the research and diving into things that's happening from the science side in the lab and how that can actually be used, you know, uh, in the field, you know. Uh, so it's, I think it gave me a greater appreciation and a greater knowledge base as I wanted to pursue the exercise science degree. I just took what I knew from the biology side and the science side of things and just try to adapt that with the exercise part of it all and mesh it all together, which I think has truly helped me to have a great understanding of how to develop uh, the body and to help men to be their best. So over 21 years in the NFL, you've had the opportunity to work with a ton of great coaches and, um, and, and other professionals. You know, who are some of the biggest influences on your coaching style? Gotcha. Uh, well, certainly uh, one of the first guys that I worked with, and he hired me here uh, as a strength coach. Uh, he, the head strength coach at the time, was John Treen. You know, and uh, he's like a brother to me. Uh, uh, he's a Springfield guy. I'll throw it out there for you, Eric. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, he, we find yeah. a way to work into every podcast episode the uh, Springfield College connection. But um, <laughs> but you work with a few Springfield guys with the Colts. Yeah, yes, I have. I got two guys with me right now, Rusty Jones and Doug McKinney. Also, yeah, I've been yeah. certain Springfield guys. But, uh, but, yeah, just being around John and his energy, and you talk about every day coming to work with him was like a, a brand-new day of class. Like, what, what am I going to learn today? 
I mean, it was just forever evolving, learning. You know, he'd be asking me about this. Did you read that yet? That it always became extremely critical with him. Hey, listen, you cannot stop learning. And it, he was always forcing and asking me questions and pushing me even more and more. So just being around him and saw how he loved this field so much, and what he put into it and what it was going to take for me to be great and maybe even hang around somewhere for a while, that's what I needed to do as well. So just to watch him day to day in our room, it was pretty cool, you know, uh, and even see his relationship with the players. As you know, Eric, that's the biggest thing in our business. You got to have a relationship with the players. And if you may know everything in the world, but if the players don't believe you, if they don't trust you, you know, it's not going to do any good. You're not going to be very productive uh, with your program. Um, and just to see his relationship with the players and how he would be firm with them, you know, and, but also uh, had a little bit of play with how he would coach the guys, you know, and different guys, especially. So each guy is an individual and treating them as individuals, but also being very firm. Hey, listen, this is going to help you and how guys can follow along. And they appreciate that as well, you know, uh, but he's one of the great, you know, again, I spent most of my career just with him, especially in the league. So I learned a lot from him. But um, when it comes to the head coaches we had in that building, I mean, you talk about guys that are Hall of Famers. Even the general manager, Bill Polian, who was a Hall of, who is a Hall of Famer. And then there's Coach Dungey. And uh, the first head coach I had there was Jim Moore, and, which um, I learned a great deal from him as well. He had a, a Marine background, you know, and – that's kind of how the team was. He expected you to show up at this time and you're going to work hard and you're going to do this. And if you don't, you know, it would be consequences, you know, and that, that was how things were done, you know, and I built it early on. And the way he said that tempo at that point in time, it was like, Hey, listen, it created a work ethic that sustained us for many years to come because those young men who came in knew what was expected from them. We had a coach way of doing things and this is how you're going to work. And this is how we do things, you know? And that, a lot of that came from Coach Moore, just understanding it's okay to, to believe what you believe. And the one thing he always would tell us as coaches was that, you know, don't tell somebody to do something or ask them to do something that you are not going to follow up and make sure that it's getting done, you know. So you just, you know, you stay on them. You be the coach. So that was really, really uh, important for me early on to see how he would handle men at this level, you know. And, and then there was Coach Dungey, who came in after him, who also had a different type of style. He let guys have a little more freedom with things, you know, and he allowed leaders to step up and be leaders. And the thing I think that truly helped those guys to be leaders was because they had a great foundation, uh, a great work ethic already, and they knew how to be leaders, and they could lead the team the way Coach wanted to. And, um, and the coach just loved on the players so much. I mean, he had that bond with them where they could listen and how he talked to them. And, and he spoke to them as men, not down to them at all, you know. And that created a, a, a buy-in from the guys where they wanted to please him. They wanted to, to follow, you know, and do what was told of them. So, uh, and, and, coach, and, and then there was Coach Caldwell and Coach Pagano. I mean, there's so many guys that have helped me along that I've watched develop throughout the years just from the coaching side of things that way. And each one is something, a little nugget along the way. And uh, like I said, right now, I mean, I'm, I'm with the Godfather, uh, Rusty Jones. Okay, I'm just gonna, he would shoot me for saying something like that, but uh, he, he is, he's one of the, the best strength coaches in the league. And for me to actually be with him from day to day is amazing, you know. Um, ever since I was in the league, I knew of Rusty and I was kind of like one of the guys in his tree because Rusty had taught John, you know, uh, John was a intern for Rusty at Buffalo. 
So I've always been in a little family tree, but now to actually be with Rusty and, and see how he approaches things, how he's still at the age of, I think he's 67 now, yeah. how he's still is on fire. He has more energy than I do when he walks in the building. You know, you better be ready to go when he hits the door. <laughs> and uh, he's excited and uh, he's always on top of things and always challenging myself and, and the guys. And, and again, he builds relationships with players. He builds relationships. And it's amazing. A guy at 67 can still grasp the attention and the heart of a 20, 22-year-old guy, you know, generations apart. But they'll be on board with Rusty and they'll give him a hug and they're ready to go to work. So just to see that dynamic even and how he does that has been, has been valuable, invaluable for my, for my profession and for my uh, growth. Yeah, I, I met Rusty at the NFL Combine earlier this year, and yeah, it, it was really uh, inspiring just to see the energy. He was walking around and, and just so engaged with everyone at the event, and everybody knows who he is in, in the league. And I just thought that was, that was so great um, to, to meet him. And obviously, we had the Springfield connection. But, you know, listening to you uh, talk about the people you've worked with over the years, I think it's really valuable uh, on two ends, one to surround yourself with people that push you and that they challenge you to keep thinking. Like you talked about coach Tureen over, over your time with him and also, you know, to really find the positive qualities in the people you work with, because I think, you know, it, it's one of those things that in this field, there's a lot of challenges and working at the professional level, I mean, we're going through it right now with COVID and we're just trying to make something out of a, out of an upcoming season. And there's so many, there's so many negatives that we can focus on. And when you focus on the positives in your environment and the positives in individuals, I think it really brings people together on a staff and within a team and just how you answered that question really, uh, I thought that was really great how you just connected the dots and why everybody that you worked with really benefited the team environment and how it impacted the, the strength and conditioning staff as part of the team and as part of the staff and is not something completely separate and off to the side. And so that is such a huge concept in this field is that, you know, I've heard um, Andrew Hootie say, you know, the practice culture is part or the weight room culture is part of the practice culture or the weight room is part of the, the practice environment. And, you know, it's, it's not separate entities. And sometimes as strength coaches, we do feel like that. And so um, I really liked how you, how you talked about that. Um, I want to ask you something about John Tureen, you know, seeing him speak over the years, a lot of what he would talk about is movement screening and corrective exercise. And that was, always connected with the Indianapolis Colts as a major part of the program. Um, how much has that evolved over the years in your time there? And um, how important is that to your programming with, with players? Yeah, again, after spending so many years with John, you know, that is deeply embedded in me, the foundation of the functional movement screen and why that is important. Uh, we still do the screen. Uh, you know, uh, and yes, over the years, because of doing it and what you've learned and the stats, you run on certain things as you are doing the test. Uh, you learn certain things about certain positions, certain people, certain corrective exercises, which are great to use. Some maybe not so much in other instances. So we've used it and we continue to use it. But I think we've been able to refine it to truly dial in on what can help us 
get guys better or even give them better movement, you know, and give them a great foundation so we can build strength, so we can build power, so we can build speed, you know. And that was the whole thing from the screen from the get-go that I truly remember and still appreciate to this day is that when something isn't right, you know, you just cannot continue to build, you know, strength and power on dysfunction, as Gray would say, all right? Uh, you've got to have a firm foundation what you want to build on. And not only did the screen kind of help point out where some things may not be right, but it kind of gave you a path of how to correct some stuff, you know? But it's also room for you to figure out on your own. Okay, well, let me try this. Well, let me try that. But it opened your mind up, okay, how can I make this pattern better? Because weight alone is not going to do that. I want to continue to feed a bad pattern. And that bad pattern is going to show up on the field. And when it shows up on the field, most likely it's going to end up being an injury. And the most important thing at our level is keeping guys on the field. If you want to have a job, you better keep guys on the field. You know? And we always tell the players the best ability is availability. So you want to be available. Okay? So you do all you can to take care of your body. Um, so we've been able to, to just advance even the screen, using it still. But um, something big that uh, even with Rusty now, and we started a couple of years before, but, but even he has just driving it home even more. We are all into Thomas Myers and with anatomy trains. And again, you're talking about the entire body, you know, and even with John, we talked about not training muscle groups, but how do we train movement? You know, uh, not just trying to work on the chest, but work on everything that's connected with the chest that we can get, a movement pattern established, you know, that they're going to use on the field. And with Thomas Myers, I mean, everything he talks about with the fascia and getting those muscles moving and how they're all connected, you know, and learning those body parts, but how, not just the parts though, but how it's one unit. So we're able to use the screen with Thomas Myers even more and dwell into what, what he does a little bit and bring it into our world with our trainers to help the guys be even uh, functional, more functional, uh, to have better movement, you know, to hopefully, as we believe, uh, less injury with how we train them. As we give guys certain exercises where they have issues, you know, how can we link up, you know, this uh, spiral line or this deep frontal line, these muscles that are involved with this lift to help correct something that we see going on within the pattern, which again has a big basis all the way back to the functional movement screen that I learned many years ago functional anatomy anatomy in general and uh, physiology those are courses that could be considered gateway courses into this field um it, you know typically with exercise science majors that's something that you take in your first or second year and and really provides the foundation for you to study x x phys and all these other classes strength and conditioning that that you pursue um and that speaks to your background in the sciences as well what other advice do you have for young and aspiring strength coaches that would like to get to the NFL one day and work with, with uh, NFL players? Yeah. Even what you just mentioned, I mean, you just set off a light bulb in my head is the earlier classes that some of these young people have that as they get deeper into the field, it seems like they sometimes regress back to the old method of doing things too of just body parts of lifting or doing this and doing it that way. So I would encourage them to continue to think if I have to say it, I don't think it's outside the box, but usually they learn even earlier on, as you said, with the functional movement stuff they have and with the science of things and continue to try to grow that into what they're doing as they get older 
and see how that can mesh together with whoever they're whoever they're learning from at that particular time, you know, and and to grow from that because there are a lot of people out there who are doing things through the science way, you know, and are trying to work in patterns and in movement while you're still getting the guy strong. Listen, I'm not. You got to have strong athletes. That's a prerequisite. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you got weak guys, that's an issue. So, yes, they must have a certain amount of strength, but they don't have to squat a thousand pounds to be a great player in the NFL. You know, and to get to that point where you know guys are good, okay, what other areas can you work on? And usually you will find some deficiencies in their movements. And that may come from previous injury, that may come from just bad movement patterns that's been established years before. It could be come from having an injury and not having a full rehab, you know, but again, can cause someone to be deficient in their performance, more importantly on the field. In the weight room, yes, but more importantly in their, in their performance on the field where they really get paid, you know. So it will be great for the, those who are young to continue to grow, continue to learn, and to use some of those things which they may not see everyone using as much of, but even on their own, try to develop and try to, figure out how they can incorporate some of those uh, things they have learned in school into the programs where they're at, you know, um, that's just on that side of things. I think what's also important as far as getting into the NFL or a job in general, what I've always told from older coaches, whether they were football coaches, strength coaches, whatever it may be, was always be the best at a job you have right now. Right. I think too many times people are so, um, caught up in looking at the next job. How can I get that job? No, I was always told you be the you be the best at the job you have right now, right? And you'd be amazed at what happens when you grow at the job you have because people are watching. They will notice. They will see. And as you continue to expand and and, and grow in your in, in your job and your profession, that the jobs will be there as well. You know, make some connections. I know. I know. Even for myself early on just getting started. I did like quite a few young people I see each year do with me, where they write letters or they send me their resumes and they'll make calls and ask about internships. You know, they're reaching out there. I mean, I was reaching out to people I didn't even know. And some coaches would send back a response. Some coaches wouldn't send back a response. But they don't even know I'm out there unless I reach out to them, you know. And so that was with through letter, through calls. It happens by going to you know, the NACA conventions or whatever convention you may be around and there's coaches there and you can talk to them and you can, you know, just um, just uh, pick their brains a little bit about something that you're interested in. That's all great things that you can look into doing. Uh, but making those connections and networking a little bit and using the people you know can help you continue to grow in your profession, which again can help you get to know more people and maybe get you the job that you're really looking for. But um, the big thing I really truly believe is helpful is to be the best at the job you have right now because when you're really good at that whoever you're working for they'll continue to take care of you and even push you forward even more because they see your hunger they see your work ethic and they see your drive not that you're just trying to not do something well to get to the next step you know yeah you you talked already about relationships with players and how important those are talk about your coaching style and you know what what's your process in working with NFL players yeah, it's a good good question <laughs> i um tell you one thing that's helped me out a lot i think uh with my coaching style in the league i don't think it's changed a lot 
probably has some, but has made me more aware of each individual player and treating them each as individuals. Um, for about three years, I also was uh, the head of the player development program here with the team. We had some changes on staff and different things. And so uh, they asked me to come in and lead that up. With I had help from other people as well. But during those years of being the player development guy and with the classes and the things that we did during the summer with rookies and with all the players, it gave me a better understanding of what these guys are facing day to day on the other side, you know, outside of football, you know. And then when you think about things, so okay, so for our world, we talk about, you know, stress and how that is, can be bad for the body when it truly builds up. Well, your body does not differentiate what kind of stress is stress. It just knows it's stress, whether it's financial, relationship, whether it's us in the weight room beating them down, you know, or they're running. All of that creates stress within the body. You know, when it gets to be too much, there's an issue, you know, there's going to be some breakdown. And a part of our job is to be stress managers within the weight room. And I guess I would say within my coaching style and my time as being player development guy, um, I begin to understand and value and, and to value that outside stress that players go through even more, you know, here at this level, meaning they have a lot of stress from their families, you know, financial stress, you know, people are on them about different things, you know, uh, even just making this team is, is so stressful. You talk about a lot of injuries happen at and during training camp time. Guess what? That's probably one of the most stressful times because <laughs> these guys are trying to make the team. They have no idea where their next meal is going to come from, really, or where the next job is going to be, you know? And they're probably still feeling uh, calls from home for whatever's going on there. So I guess I bring that up in a way that with my coaching style is that I do truly try to be firm with the things we want guys to do. But I also try to understand who that guy is, especially when I've been around a player for a while. And whenever he comes into the weight room and he's doing things a totally different way, be really easy for me to jump all over him about something, right? But instead, it's kind of like to learn, like, wait a minute. Now, Eric doesn't do things this way usually. Usually he's right on point. He's here, here, and here, and he's taking something must be up. So maybe that's a time for me to put my arm around him a little bit and not worry about the weights right now, but just not kind of connect with him and say, hey, look, things okay. You know, can we help you? Or you're not, well, listen, I can tell you're not feeling it today, right? Your numbers are all down. So let's do a different type of workout for you instead, you know, but trying to meet the need of that guy, but still being firm that something probably should be done or but more so how can I help him? So now that player even knows, yes, I am the strength coach. I am concerned about what happens in the room. I'm concerned about his overall health, but I'm concerned about him as an individual, you know? So I think that has helped shape me also more with my coaching style has been able to truly treat each player as an individual, even though we are together and I do want to see certain goals attained and for them to do what we ask, but knowing, you know, there's gotta be some lead and some play within the process as well. You know, I really like the term stress manager, you know, and uh, I, I, I've heard stress absorber for strength coaches before, but I, uh, I hadn't heard stress manager, and I think um, that really brings a lot together in terms of um, the way athletes communicate with us and are open with us as strength coaches. Uh, and and um, I thought that was a really great term and a really, um, really great approach to 
connecting with athletes and just always having your ears open to more than rep, uh, sets and reps. You know, it, it's, it's really, it's really important to go beyond that in this field. So we talked about your time in the NFL and getting into coaching. How has your perspective towards the field changed over the years? I know the one thing, uh, I don't know if necessarily has changed over the, the perspective of it all. I mean, I think we're still a very crucial part of the overall um, development of the players and the performance that everyone sees on the field. Um, I think the things that have changed in our field a lot is the use of, you know, GPS and all these other metrics that, that are out there and instruments that, that we can use. Um, the one thing that I think I still hear a little bit of sometimes, which I was never taught this way as a strength coach, even early on, and, and especially with John and he and I working together. Uh, the thing that bothers me sometimes in our field is the relationship maybe between the athletic trainers and the strength coaches. You know, over the years, you know, I think they may have gotten a smidget better, <laughs> but like I said, I've never been taught that those two rooms are against each other, that we have to work together. That's probably the most important relationship with players whenever they can see the trainers and the strength coaches on the same page. That then you got total buy-in from a player for a system, not rooms, but for a system. So when the trainers and the strength coaches can develop a system of working together and getting the players back on the field, uh, without a tremendous amount of confrontation. Because the players can feel things. They, they understand that things aren't right and people aren't working together. You know, um, when, they, when the players know that, you've got buy-in from people who can take your team to another level. You know? So that's the one area I think, of, uh, even with my perspective, I would say it hasn't changed enough from what I still hear from time to time. You know, um, Just to have those two rooms to truly work together, you know? Um, and I've been very fortunate. I know you mentioned earlier in another question, just about with the people I've worked with, you know, which I failed to even mention, uh, a guy who's the head coach right now with coach Frank Reich, you know, and how he, I mean, he puts a premium on our room, you know, and when you have a head coach like him who backs what you say and who in a team meeting, We'll talk about things in the weight room and, and, and show how guys are working and how they're getting better with the information that we give him and how we talk about stuff, you know, that creates buy-in as well, you know, and I think there, I think there are more coaches like that as well. Maybe not as good as Frank, because I'm telling you, he is incredible when it comes to that. Uh, even doing this whole COVID thing, as we had our zoom calls and stuff, you know, the guys are on their own uh, at, at this this year, you're going to see which teams have pros on their team. You know, which team truly has the most professionals. Those guys went out there who took care of themselves, who are going to show up ready to go to work here when we actually get started. You know, and and Frank was a big push, uh, was behind us all the way uh, with what we were trying to get done, and just own the guys in the, in the positive way about training and how to work and and how to follow through with the program and stay on it. You know, so uh, I think it's great to have a coach like that uh, with your program and who believes. And I think there's more coaches like that now as well. You know? Yeah. So there, there definitely is a, 
a stigma in our field. And sometimes it, it hurts us as strength coaches that we are these disciplinarians, you know, and that we're the ones cracking the whip on these teams and holding everyone accountable. And, you know, you can probably speak to it as well, but just the size of staffs in all sports have grown over the years. And it really puts a premium on the value of the head coach to instill, uh, those values of discipline in for the whole team. Um, and that includes the weight room and that includes the weight room, the, you know, the, the head coach, the general manager, the leaders in a, in an organization can really make or break the weight room environment. Uh, and, and it can be, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's tough in a strength coach role to make up for poor leadership, you know, um, and, I th- it's great when you have leaders that you can look up to as professionals um, that you work for that really value what you do. And um, it sounds like you've had just an all-star lineup of people to work with, with the Colts over the years. And, uh, and it's, I mean, no, no surprise that the Colts have been a great franchise in the NFL, um, you know, o- over the years as well. What, what's your most memorable coaching experience um, you know, as a coach in the NFL over the years. Oh, shucks, Eric. I mean, everybody wants that championship. I mean, you have to go back to that year when we won it all, you know, really, uh, when we were the world champions and, uh, and winning the Super Bowl and beating uh, uh, Chicago Bears in the rain, the first ever rain Super Bowl uh, in history to have that moment to be crowned as world champions with those men that we had, that's it's an awesome moment. It really is. Because I, as you know as well, Eric, I mean, I know guys right now who've been doing this in the league even for years and have never even been to the playoffs, much less, you know, make it to the Super Bowl and even win it. You know? um, and the one thing I would expound upon even with that team in 2006 is that uh, that wasn't even our best team. Even if you were to ask Coach Dungey, some other guys, that wasn't even our best team per se, you know. But what you saw was a team that loved each other, that played for each other. There was no selfishness. It's whatever each guy could do to make the team better. That's what they would do, you know. I mean, how many times have you ever heard of a wide receiver who wasn't open, right? In the NFL, they're always open. Don't eat the ball, you know. We would have times during that year where they would say, like, hey, listen, run the ball. They're doing this, this, and this. Run the ball, it'll be better. You know, guys would give up what they usually would want to see, more numbers, more catches. Nah, what's going to help us more? If we run the ball right now, all right, then we can get back to the pass game if that opens back up. So it's just, but you saw that, what truly a team is supposed to be about and to see all that take place in that one year and to it end with the championship was truly incredible. And um, I'll add to that was that, uh, we just had our 10-year anniversary, you know, about two years ago. Uh, and so a lot of those guys were back together. And for a moment, I was able to step back in the room where we all were and just kind of watch the guys interact a little bit. And Eric, it was it was kind of cool to see. And I told my wife, you know, these guys really love each other. I mean, Eric, if you could have seen them, I mean, they were – and a lot of them still stay in contact, but you could still feel like, hey, listen, these guys, they're a special group. And it's those kind of groups, whatever you see – when they have that bond and they care for each other and they're about team, you know, that's where you get those special moments. And that's where, that's when, you know, that's why I do this, you know, and each year 
you're you're fighting to see that happen again and again to try to build that kind of camaraderie, you know, that team aspect to see guys, you know, leaning on the line for the guy beside them, you know, to see that and to hopefully eventually get that ring, you know, when it's all said and done. So it's that little hunger over and over each year. You want to see that again, especially when you've had that taste. That's awesome. No, that's awesome just to hear um, the excitement. And as you talk about it, you, you just, it's like you're reliving it, you know, with those guys. And um, it, it just really, really great to hear that. And we don't always get into the, uh, the wins and loss columns on, on this, on this podcast, but um, it's, I think it's, it, it's really great to hear. Um, I just want to ask you one more question on the strength and conditioning side. You touched a little bit on GPS uh, and technology that's kind of made its way into um, our field. You know, to you, the next five, 10 years, what does the future of strength and conditioning look like? And how do you see things progressing in the future? Well, it's a good question. Uh, the cool thing to watch right now with the use of technology and all of these systems Eric, uh, which you may have seen, and even early on in my career, uh, what technology has done is kind of validated what we've always tried to tell coaches in the past. You know, sometimes they're like, oh, they're kind of worn out, or maybe we should do this, or we should do this instead, where a lot of times coaches were always driven to go, 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 you know, on the field. And we're always saying, maybe not today, or we'll do something different here, because we're, we're monitoring the guys. We can see what we see. Where the, where the numbers were at one point in time and where the numbers are now, but just visually seeing how they're responding and how they're coming in each day, you know? And what technology has done for us is now allow, allowed us to put a number on some things where we can actually take to the coaches and say, hey, look, this is why this guy's going down, it looks like, this little spiral down because of the load that he's getting every single day, okay? And or, as I mentioned earlier, the stuff we don't know about, the outside stress, the stress outside the building that's also affecting him. And you see these numbers going that way and why he may be leading towards an injury or, or something like that. You know, um, that's the thing that technology has really has helped us with somewhat. Uh, uh, us strength coaches, we were ahead of time, you know, they just didn't want to listen to us, Eric, that's all. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's another story. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, so, <laughs> how can our listeners connect with you um, and get in touch if they want to uh, reach out? Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, Richard, email richard.howell, H-O-W-E-L-L, at colts.nfl.net, N-E-T. Right. Uh, definitely can hit me there, and I usually check it pretty often, uh, and I can get back with you just because of where things are and just – I may not get back with you right then, but within a day or two, I'll try to hit you back up and we can go from there and leave me all the information and I can hook up with you. Well, definitely a lot going on right now and in, in approach of the, uh, the season and, and it's, it's exciting and we're all hopeful that COVID-19 is, is on its way down and not going to affect uh, fall sports uh, significantly. Um, but Richard Howell, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Eric. Really, I appreciate it. It was fun. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. And we'd also like to thank our sponsor, Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support.
And as you know, we at the NSCA love research, especially applying that research. If you're not a member yet, join us and get access to the best strength and conditioning journals available. Just go to nsca.com membership. And to all of you listening, we appreciate your support. Again, if you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe wherever you download your podcast from. Write us a review and keep listening in. Thank you, and I look forward to talking with you all soon. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.